Hello, and welcome to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. We're going to be talking NFL because there's been lots of trades, buzz, free agency started, and we're going to get into the NCAA because the brackets are set. Uh, besides the playing games, but essentially the brackets are set, and you know March Madness is March Madness, baby. So let's get right into it. We're gonna start off with the biggest trade uh, transaction that has happened within the last week. And that is the Carolina Panthers and Chicago Bears trade. And listen, the Chicago Bears new GM Ryan Poles. I am all about this move. Uh, welcome to the NFL. This is your team, and the fact that you've got. Two first round picks. So the ninth this so they swapped the first and the ninth. Mm-hmm. Got their first round in twenty twenty four. Then they got two second round picks. So the sixty first and then a twenty twenty five second round pick. And DJ Moore, who still has three years on his contract or two years on his contract. Uh just what a trade. I don't know how they even got DJ Moore involved in that trade. The Bears needle receiver, we've been talking about this, and they got a certified number one receiver. DJ Moore is a number one wide receiver in this league. Um, Chicago definitely won this trade. Uh, I do love that Frank Reich leaves the Colts, goes to Carolina, then trades up to go above the Colts so he can get the quarterback he wants before the Colts can. I just find that hilarious. <laughs> um, but again, I don't know if I'm trading two firsts, two seconds, and DJ Moore just so I can have the first overall pick. Uh, I don't, I don't see a Andrew Luck type quarterback in this draft. Not saying that these quarterbacks can't be good in the NFL, but I'm not seeing a Peyton Manning, Andrew Luckish type quarterback, in my opinion, to trade the entire future for because. Uh, Two first, two seconds, and DJ Moore. Like even if you draft a quarterback, who is he throwing to? Who who are yeah. you who are you throwing to? You got rid of Christian McCaffrey last year, so you have no one to to throw it out the backfield to. And now you got rid of DJ Moore, and you got rid of Robbie Anderson, which he, he got cut immediately. So oh, yeah. Ch- chosen Anderson now doesn't matter. So um, <laughs> I, I just don't know who the Panthers are. Hard throwing to so I, I don't know I, I I don't like this trade from the Panthers viewpoint I get that you were ninth you probably weren't getting any of the quarterbacks you wanted so you felt like you had to make a move but I feel like Chicago hands down won this trade Julius yeah I, I feel you on that a hundred percent with the Bears just to put things in perspective for what the Bears are doing here DJ Moore who has had questionable quarterback play for a good while. Has 5,201 career receiving yards. That is more than any player in the history of the Chicago Bears. What makes it even worse, the Bears have only had one player in their history hit 5,000 receiving yards. The top two leaders in Chicago Bears history in receiving yards both retired in the 1960s. So for 60 years, basically, the Bears have lacked a receiver that they've kept. 
You know, it's it's been a splash year for a Marty Booker or a Marcus Robinson. It's been picking up a Brandon Marshall for a couple of years or having an Alshon Jeffrey for a couple of years or that one time where Allen Robinson was good with them. But this is a franchise that historically has not been able to get consistent, productive play out of a receiver. So DJ Moore has an opportunity to come in and legitimately be the greatest Bears receiver of all time if he can just have three good seasons with Justin Fields. That's, that's where you are now. With that said, I keep hearing people say, oh, the, the Bears offense looks dangerous. Let, let, let's not go that far. Let's not go that far. They have DJ Moore, Chase Claypool, who's been eh, okay in his career, and Darnell Mooney, who all he did last year is show you that he's not a top-notch receiver, that at best he's a number three type receiver. That's not a stacked team. Let me remind y'all that Tom Brady, who most of you say is the GOAT, when Tom Brady came to Tampa Bay, he already had Mike Evans and Chris Godwin there. That's two receivers who are far and above better than whoever the second best receiver is in Chicago. Let's say it's Chase Claypool. We can all agree. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, way better than Chase Claypool. So you already had two receivers better than Chicago's number two. And what did Tom Brady do? He said, you know what? Even with this, I need Rob Gronkowski, greatest tight end of all time, in my opinion. I need Antonio Brown one of the best receivers of the last decade when he feels like it. I need Leonard Fournette. That's, that's what Tom Brady did. The greatest of all time said, I need this much help. So that's the attitude I need the Bears to have. We can't just rest on the laurels and say, oh, we got DJ Moore, that's it. You know, it's, it's like whenever people don't like a quarterback or whenever they don't like his passing ability, everybody loves Justin Fields as a runner now. But when the, the passing ability is questioned, they get one receiver, and it's like, oh, no, no, no excuses now. No excuses now. If it was their favorite quarterback with these same receivers, they'd be like, we need more. We need more. Just, just keep the same energy. The Bears are off to a great start. Like I said, DJ Moore has a chance to be the greatest Bears receiver ever, and that's not hyperbole. But let's get some more in there. Let's use these extra resources. Let's not forget the, the Bears fumbled the 32nd pick by trading it for Chase Claypool. So the Bears kind of needed to make this happen. They needed to kind of make up for what they lost in that trade. So now you get some of those assets back. Again, great start for Chicago, but it's it's a building block. As for Carolina, I won't get too harsh on what they lost in this trade. I would not have given up DJ Moore. That, that, that'd, be, that'd be the part that'd be tough for me because, like you said, it's a lot of now what in Carolina. And, you know, maybe they know something we don't know about Terrace Marshall Jr. <laughs> but, you know, maybe they know something about Shai Smith. I, I, I don't know. But Carolina, as far as the picks go, the thing that helped the Panthers is that these are spread out. So you lose the two first-round picks this year next. You lose a second-rounder in 2025 so so it's not that the impact is like you lose two picks this year one pick next year and one pick the year after so they kind of spread out the paint so that helps some 
but yeah, giving up DJ Moore on top of that it, it makes it a little tough. But it, it, it's definitely an expensive prize. But I don't want to say it's the end of the world for Carolina. This isn't exactly Mike Ditka trading the whole draft class for Ricky Wood. <laughs> <laughs> With that said. I'm not even going to speculate at what the Panthers are actually going to do with this pick. I don't think they know. I think this was just, just like a placeholder. Like, like, let's go ahead and get the number one spot now and figure the rest out later. And if that's the case, that's an interesting strategy. You know, some people have heard rumors that certain people in the organization like C.J. Stroud, Ulrich Stroud the fourth, they have some people like him better. Some reports say they're blown away with what they saw with Anthony Richardson, and some people in there might take him. I don't think Bryce Young is off the table. I don't think Will Levis is off the table in this spot. (laughs) As you can tell, Patrick's number one quarterback prospect in this year's class. (laughs) So, so yes, Carolina, they've made this move to kind of just hold their seat at the table. There's even been rumors that Carolina could trade back, as, as crazy as that is, and try to get more for the number one pick than they gave up for the number one pick. Now, that'd be a bold strategy. But it's going to be interesting to see what ultimately comes to this number one pick. Like Patrick said, there's not that guy at quarterback in this class you don't feel. There's, like I said, out of the guys we mentioned, Stroud, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, there's things about all of them. And, and even Will Levis a little bit that you can look at and say, okay, I like these aspects of this quarterback. But like, like Patrick said, there, there's not a Andrew Luck or a Peyton Manning or even a Trevor Lawrence type of prospect where you say, we've been waiting on this guy for three years. So it, it's interesting that Indianapolis, would, not, not Indianapolis, excuse me, that Carolina would make this move to jump a team like Indianapolis, uh, going back to what Patrick said about Frank Reich maybe sticking it to the Colts just a tad bit. But uh, to, to see what the process is over the next few months or how they figure out what they're going to do with this number one pick, that's going to be one of the more fascinating stories uh, over the next month and a half. And that's the, that's the thing about the NFL. The NFL will generate some stories no matter what time of year it is, and especially during this time of year. So we've got a a, potentially a month and a half of intrigue to figure out what Carolina is going to do here. Yeah, and just to touch on your point about people saying the Bears' offense is dangerous now. All right, everyone, calm down. They still need an offensive line, so you can have all the weapons. You can you can have all the weapons you want. Um, David Montgomery still a free agent, so we got to see what they're going to do uh, at the running back position. Um, there are talks about Austin Eckler potentially showing up in Chicago now. If that happens. Mm-hmm. Yikes! But again, those are all just rumors. We'll wait for the to, to, for the de- you know signed, sealed, delivered uh, moment from Schefter. Um, but uh, yeah, I like what Chicago did here. Again, it's 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 starting to build the pieces around um, you know everyone on that team. Like again, you need an offensive line now, though. You have a receiver. You got your quarterback. Now you have to build the offensive line. You got a tight end. You have your number two and number three receiver. You have a receiver who fumbles on kick returns, but you got him. So, um, <laughs> you know, Julius's guy, Velas Jones. But yeah. you have pieces, but you still need an offensive line. 
uh, and your defense needs help too. So again, this is a good trade for a team that still needs. I don't want to pretend like they're going to be competing for a Super Bowl this coming year. Uh, but this was a great trade for a team who already has their quarterback. They don't. They already have Fields. They don't need anybody else out of this draft. Um, uh, and and now they can start to build a, this team up. So uh, definitely like this trade for the Bears. Um, another big trade that was confirmed and has happened is. Uh, the Rams continue their their fire sale of everyone, uh, and they traded Jalen Ramsey to the Miami Dolphins for a third round pick, the number seventy seven overall, and Titan Hunter Long. Um, yeah, I feel like Ramsey is worth more than that. Um, he was when he went to the Rams, so um, as the Rams are just trying to get any draft pick they can get now after trading away the entire house for all these players to win a Super Bowl. So uh, there are rumors that they might trade Matt Stafford. I don't see that happening, but with the Rams and what they're doing now with all of their players, who knows? Um, (laughs) It's just a very interesting trade to trade what some people still consider one of the best corners in the NFL. Even if you don't have number one, you have them top five, top ten at the worst. Um, for Hunter Long and the 77 overall pick. Again, I think the Rams are just clearing clearing house, trying to get cap space, trying to get picks back. They they did what they needed to do. They got their Super Bowl. That's what they wanted. They got their Super Bowl, and now I feel like they're just trying to rebuild. Um, I'm a fan of it from the Dolphins' perspective. Teaming him up with Xavion Howard, awesome. Uh, don't forget they got Chubb halfway through last year. Uh, so... Uh, keep building this defense up for the Dolphins, and if Tua comes back healthy, man, this this team this team is gonna be nasty. So I, I do like the trade from a Dolphins perspective. It's just interesting because I try to keep things in perspective, and it was almost a year ago where you threw out there that. You weren't too high on the Rams. You had them down in your power rankings. Still had them as a kind of a fringe playoff team, but you had them down in the rankings, and there was all the talk of, what are you doing, Patrick? Why, why do you have the Rams down there? How, how, how can you have the Rams outside of the top 10? They just, they just won the Super Bowl. Come on. This is about to be a dynasty. And here we are, not even a full year later, and it's just going to be completely torn down. And like you said, in this case, this, this this feels like a garage sale. It doesn't even feel like a fire sale. It's a garage sale. <laughs> a state sale. <laughs> <laughs> like to, to like you said, to get a, a third round pick and the Dolphins' third string tight end. When you already have Tyler Higby, by the way, then who who knows? Maybe you won't have him either. Maybe he's part of the garage sale. That's all you get for Jalen Ramsey, who in my opinion, is no question a top five corner and still in the discussion as much as people like to, to clown uh, Ramsey at times for when he does get beat and as much as people, every now and then myself included, kind of clown some of his mannerisms and press conferences, uh, Jalen Ramsey is still in the discussion for best corner in the league. And he's, you know, he's still under 30. And so to give that up and to come away with this, you know, a fringe day two pick, and again, a depth piece at best at the tight end position. It, it's it's shocking. Now, there are reports 
that Miami was Jalen Ramsey's preference. Of course, this all came out after the rumors of Jalen Ramsey might go to Dallas, Jalen Ramsey might go to this team, that team. So it, it was interesting timing of that. Ramsey himself <clears throat> claims to have been, quote, praying for a month for this. So there, there's talk that Miami was the preferred destination for Jalen Ramsey. And if that's the case, I've talked about it more so in basketball than football, but we're in an era with all this player empowerment that guys are pretty much free agents on a year to year basis, especially once they get out of their rookie contracts. So if Ramsey went to the Rams and said, the only place I'm going to is Miami, then a player of his stature probably has enough pull to make that happen. And maybe that that's the only logical thing I can think of that would keep the price this depressed because other teams around the league have to be looking at this. And even, even if a team wasn't interested in Jalen Ramsey, they have to think, you know what, for a third round pick in our third string tight end, yeah, we would have done it. Even, even if we don't need a corner, we would have done it. So there has to be something else going on. And that's the only thing I can think of is that maybe Ramsey said the only way I'll accept the trade is if I go to Miami. Now, for the Dolphins, like you said, you put him with a playmaker on the other side and Xavier Howard, you've got something cooking, it looks like. Miami still is going to have to keep adding more depth pieces, but you've got the splash pieces in place. So you talked about Bradley Chubb. You know, you had a Wolfpack player to your defense, you're going to be in good shape. So you've got Chubb there. I like Jalen Phillips. That, that's, that's a young pass rusher they drafted, so... You know, they're, they're starting to piece some things together in Miami. They've got to work on the depth because everybody's kind of looking at the roster and all these star players. I think Miami's roster is a little top-heavy right now. It's more like on offense, once you get past Hill and Waddle, what else is there? Who's going to be that consistent third option? Uh, defensively, kind of the same thing. You get Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey is a replacement for Byron Jones, who, again, we've seen concerning things from Byron Jones as far as what he said about uh, his body right now and then how he's feeling. We might have seen the last of Byron Jones if you take his words at face value. So you're replacing Byron Jones, but you also have to keep in mind that last year the Dolphins were forced to start a undrafted rookie free agent across from Xavier Howard. So you still have some depth that you need to build up in Miami. Just like I said with Chicago, keep working, keep building, keep acquiring pieces. But Jalen Ramsey's a huge step in the in the right direction for the Dolphins. And, you know, between the Tyreek Hill move last year and, like you said, a Bradley Chubb move midseason, uh, the Dolphins' front office is showing a lot of aggression. And this kind of does reinforce that they believe that that two is their guy. They, they go and get Mike White as an insurance policy, but they haven't stepped out of their way to do anything other than support Tua. So even though we all have concerns about Tua's concussion history and his overall durability, the Dolphins are comfortable enough to throw all their chips to the middle of the table and say, we're doing what we can to add splash players to hopefully build a championship roster. Yeah, Tua, again, before all the concussions, I was having a hell of a season. Uh, some people had him in their MVP race, so comes down to health it comes down to health at the quarterback position for that team and and he's still on his rookie contract i believe they picked up his fifth year option so um you know it all comes down to health for the dolphins um something that hasn't been confirmed but there was a lot of cryptic tweets about it today from sauce gardner and um 
and Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson, yep, and some other Jets. But it uh, looks like Aaron Rodgers is truly following in the footsteps of Brett Favre. And, you know, he really mentored with him for those three and a half years on the bench. And, and he saw how Brett handled, you know, his career. And now if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets, I'm, I'm expecting him to go to the Vikings after that. So, um, just uh, you heard it here first on the Two Guys Four Balls podcast that Aaron Rodgers, after his Jets tenure, will go to the Vikings. Um, but if that does happen, uh, obviously the AFC East just gets even stronger. Um, the Bills, Dolphins, and Jets were all in playoff contention last year, and the Dolphins and Bills made it. Uh, the Jets had a again serviceable quarterback. They probably would have made the playoffs as well, uh, and a br- healthy Brees Hall, but. Um, if Aaron Rodgers, if Aaron Rodgers is actually going to the Jets, um, it hasn't been confirmed on any of the sites yet, but that is what people are saying is going to happen. It's just a matter of when, um, it seems like everyone has signed off on it besides maybe Aaron Rodgers. And as Julius will discuss, he loves, you know, the, the drama. Um, <laughs> but, uh, if that actually happens, if Aaron Rodgers actually goes to the Jets, Julius, the, the AFC gets even tougher than it already was. Um, and it's just like the NFL is colluding against Patrick Mahomes. They do not like seeing him win Super Bowls. So anything to protect Tom Brady, Brady's legacy, am I right? <laughs> uh, yeah, we've talked about how the AFC it has become a gauntlet, and that's with the Jets having ineptitude at the quarterback position. And so now, you know, with this Aaron Rodgers situation, you know, I'm, I'm just, can we just get it done? You know, I've, I'm, everybody knows there, there's no bigger fan of Aaron Rodgers as a player than I. I think he's the best quarterback I've seen. Patrick Mahomes is, of course, making a run at that, but Aaron Rodgers is, is the guy I've said for years, best quarterback I've seen. Get it over with. You know, what's up with this, all this, you know, you'll see. Stay tuned for the next episode of Dragon Ball Z. Like, well, what are we doing, Aaron? Is is it that because everybody else is signing today that you got to have, like, your own day? Why is this not done when all day long we've seen reports? I've seen a report from Trey Wingo. I, I, I didn't know Trey Wingo wasn't with ESPN anymore. Wherever he is now, Trey Wingo's out there somewhere reporting that Aaron Rodgers to the Jets is a done deal. Other people seem to believe the same thing, including guys on the team. Like you said, Ahmad Gardner and Garrett Wilson are on social media already celebrating publicly. Gardner's posting himself with cheese head. Garrett Wilson's talking about how much he's smiling. It, it, it's amazing how much these Jets players, and especially these young Jets players, well, haven't even been there anytime, how much they despise Zach Wilson. <laughs> like, like to, to publicly celebrate because you're on the verge of getting a different quarterback is, is, is tough. But it just speaks to, speaks to Zach Wilson, not just how he played, but how he's perceived as a person. Because, again, this team was more energized with Joe Flacco and with Mike White at quarterback, even though they weren't playing better than Zach Wilson, they were just more likable. So, again, it says a lot about Zach Wilson's impact on the locker room being pretty negative, and normally they don't talk too much about that, because a lot lot of times that's just rumor and speculation, but you you can visibly see it directly from the other Jets players. 
So they're excited to have Aaron Rodgers. Everything seems to already be in place. Like, let, let, let's just get this done. Right, I'm tired of Aaron Rodgers dragging things out. I'm tired, I'm tired of this Brett Favre 2.0 act that he's trying to do. And I would just think of all people, you wouldn't pull the Brett Favre even down to going to the same team, obviously, after you were held hostage by Brett Favre for a few years yourself. It's just weird that Rodgers has to go about his business that way. The whole darkness retreat thing and everything. Like, why, why do we even know about the darkness retreat? Just do it. <laughs> you know, so uh, Rodgers is getting on my nerves a little bit uh, with all the, the drama around this. But like I said, it seems to be a done deal. And assuming it does happen, I'll say this. I have Garrett Wilson in the keeper league and I've got him undrafted. So I'm feeling good about that. Uh, from You know, assuming Aaron Rodgers is there. But, but yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty stacked, it's particularly, like you said, in the AFC East. And it's, it's going to be crazy because we never thought we'd see the day where Bill Belichick would be a distant fourth in the AFC East. And yet if this Rodgers trade does go through, that's what we'd have to project for the first time in a long time, for the first time in over two decades for sure. So... A lot going on here, a, a potentially huge move. We talked about you talked about Brees Hall. We've talked about Garrett Wilson. Uh, Elijah Moore is a guy that I continue to like, even though he didn't get to have much of a season last year. He was, seemed to be really affected, probably a little more than he should have been by the quarterback play. But there's a lot of good pieces going on with the Jets. They've got a nice defensive core. They just uh, re-up with Quincy Williams, so they've got both Williams brothers who are fantastic. Uh, players in the middle of that defense. Uh, you go and, like I said, you go draft the defensive rookie of the year and offensive rookie of the year the same draft. You've got a lot of pieces in New York, and if you can get Aaron Rodgers there, Aaron Rodgers all of a sudden, last, last year we kind of, I know I did, kind of gave him a little bit of a pass because of the lack of, of established weapons on the team. There's no excuse this year, even in a crowded AFC. Rodgers got to get it done. If this deal happens. And then we'll just go around and just talk about some of our, um, you know, most interesting or favorite or uh, kind of signings that have happened so far. Again, uh, just opened up today, the, the legal, you know, uh, action. So uh, we talked about this, uh, Jimmy Ward going to the Texans. So he's following D'Amico Ryan's uh, going from the 49ers to the Texans. It seems like a weird move to Julius and I, uh, don't know why you would leave a team that is competing for Super Bowls to go to the Texans. Um, just a weird, weird signing there. Um, you know, I, I, the weird rumors of the Chargers trying to trade Austin Eckler because they can't come to terms on a new deal also just baffles me, and it makes me hate Brandon Staley even more because <laughs> – as we talked about all season, Julius, Austin Eckler is their offense. People want to make it people want to make this offense Justin Herbert so badly. You're going to trade away one of the best running backs, if not the best running back in the league. Um, top five in my book. Um definitely one of the best pass catching running backs in all in all of the league, which is great for this offense they're trying to run. Um for for what? Why? Why are you trying to get rid of your entire offense again? I know Herbert's thrown for 5,000 yards, blah, blah, blah. Guess who has the most receptions on the team? Eckler. Guess who had the most touchdowns on the team? Eckler. Um, I just don't I just don't get it. I, I don't understand why they're trying to get rid of Austin Eckler. 
Um, that's a that's a head scratcher for me seeing that one. Um, the Giants signing the Colts uh, linebacker Bobby Okriki. Um, uh, and if I mess up your name, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, I'm excited about that one. He had like 159 tackles last year or something. We need a linebacker. We were going out there with Jalen Smith at linebacker. That's never a good look. Um, so Sniper. I'm very very happy that we signed a. Um, linebacker uh i'll let julius talk about the raiders signings that have happened uh garavolo um and you know i really like i really like what um you know there's some i do like i i do not (laughs) i'll let julius talk about the patrick peterson deal i know that's his favorite player um, but I think it's funny. We talked about this at the end of last year. We talked about the Bengals were going to lose both of their safeties, and they did. And they both went to the mm-hmm. NFC South. One went to the Falcons, Jesse Bates, and um, the other one, Von Bell, went to the Panthers. Um, so that's just, we were talking about how the Bengals need to win and need to win now because they're going to start losing some of their guys. But they did re-sign Jermaine Pratt, and I think they needed to because he was a good, good player for them uh in their defense um and then we, we talked about the bears but I, I like both of their linebacker pickups they picked up tremaine edward edmonds and tj edwards uh guys who just fly all over the field and make plays so again i like what the bears are doing all all around um you know and and the chiefs let one of their linemen go but then they signed a lineman, a tackle from Jacksonville and Jawan Taylor, who had his best year ever in his career last year. Um, but I am concerned because um, up until last year, he was not a very good tackle. So hopefully, um, for the Chiefs' sakes, he stays. They, they're paying him a lot of money. So he stays how he did last year for, for the Jaguars and not the first three years of his career. Um, and a, a move that we talked about that I liked a lot uh, was the Lions picking up Cameron Sutton. Um, I think that's going to be a huge deal for them. They need to work on that defense uh, and to pair him with Akuda on the other side. I, I like that signing a lot. For uh, There was a bunch of other signings we could go over, but I just kind of wanted to touch on the ones that, um, that I liked or kind of scratched my head at. Yep, yep. So, so much, so much to digest today. Um, with you 100% uh, with the Austin Eckler rumors, uh, the Chargers, it's almost like they're just uh, not seeing the value of their own player. And when you look at Eckler, he's on a $6 million deal, basically. You see Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley get franchised at $10 million. If you're Austin Eckler, you got to think I have at least as much impact on my team as those guys. When you count the rushing and receiving, I feel like every week we got on here and talked about Austin Eckler's usage rate during the season and how when it was high, the Chargers usually won. And when it was low, the Chargers usually lost. And so he's been a linchpin for that offense, to say the least. And like I said, I have said time and time again openly but I feel like Brandon Staley prioritizes Justin Herbert's stats over the success of the team. And this would be the latest example. I mean, you look at the Chargers' backfield, there are just question marks behind Austin Eckler. Now, maybe they feel like they can go draft a running back, and if, if that's their approach, 
then we can try to change this conversation some. If they can find another piece, let, let's say somehow the Chargers end up with like a Jameer Gibbs type out of the draft, then maybe you feel like, okay, that's a sensible replacement here. But uh, it's just unfortunate that they seem to, to not appreciate how critical Austin Eckler has been to that offense. Uh, he talked about Jimmy Ward going to follow D'Amico Ryans. Uh, that says a lot about D'Amico Ryans as a coach. That is a player. You're willing to go from a team that's been a perennial Super Bowl contender anytime they've been healthy in the last few years to going to the laughing stock of the league, essentially, over the last few years in the Texans. Uh, again, you don't see more, too many guys voluntarily going to Houston, but D'Amico Ryans, maybe he changes that. Uh, with the relationship he has with some of his players. That would have been a tough move for me to make, though. Uh, I'm sorry, especially considering that um, most of the reports I've seen would suggest that the 49ers were interested in bringing Ward back. It'd be different if, if they were ready to move on from him, but it seemed like they were ready to bring him back, and he ends up in Houston. So that's an interesting move. Uh, you talked about the Bengals. They lose two players at the most important position in football, playmaking safety. That's not how you want to start it off season even though they were prepared for it so you lose jesse bates you lose von bell but uh this is what you drafted daxton hill for in the first round this is what you came back in you know they also drafted uh cam taylor Britt the same draft uh they played taylor Britt at corner a lot but he has experience at safety if they want to move him there or if they want to sign somebody else to fill that safety position but in cincinnati you can't let that position go unaddressed and i know they've got other concerns uh, obviously, Joe Burrow's contract is going to be coming up. Obviously, T. Higgins' contract is going to be coming up. So there are concerns. There are players they need to sign, and you can't keep everybody. But they've got to find a way to address that safety position. They did keep a Wolfpack player in the middle of that defense, so that helps a lot. But again, you got to you can't have a shortage at the most important position. So uh, Bengals have to get some safety help, and we'll see what moves they make uh, in terms of that. Uh, you talked about your Giants. Signing Bobby Okereke, very productive player, particularly against the run. So that's going to be a good move for the Giants. I feel like this kind of makes up for it because a, couple, a few years ago, they kind of got a similar type player in Blake Martinez. And Martinez was the guy that uh, the Giants got rid of uh, before the start of the season. Then, of course, Blake Martinez went to pursue his Ash Ketchum dreams. So he's now out of the league after briefly signing with my Raiders for no reason. But uh, we don't want to get into that too much. Uh, Okiriki is going to help a lot in the middle of that defense. So I think it's a good move for the Giants, addressing a specific area of weakness. Uh, we're still waiting for the Giants to improve the weapons on the offensive side of the ball. But wide receiver, not the only position that needed an upgrade in New York. So uh, the Giants look to be trying to run it back with most of the players that helped get them to the playoffs last year. You add a guy like Akiriki, that can uh, be a wild card type player. He'll show up. It's a splash plays. Uh, the Saints have had their defensive line decimated today in free agency, uh, losing Marcus Davenport, lose, losing David Omayada, using uh, losing Shy Tuttle. All these guys off the their defense. So you lose a couple of excellent run stoppers. When you talk about Onyamata, when you talk about Tuttle, these are excellent run stoppers. The Saints, one of the better run defenses in the league. Those two are a big reason why. Those two are a big reason why Demario Davis has been able to be productive over the last several seasons. So you lose both of them. Like I said, you lose Marcus Davenport as well, one of the more 
uh, impressive uh, size, speed combo kind of defensive lineman in the league. So that that's another big loss on the defensive line. Uh, the Saints, have, you know, they they got Derek, Derek Carr, but if you're going to be losing all these players on the defensive side of the ball, you're kind of putting your team in position where, you know, what, what does everybody complain? All all the Carr defenders and apologists, what have they complained about? Oh, Derek Carr never had a defense. Derek Carr's never had a defense. Well, now Derek Carr goes to the Saints and you lose your whole defensive line, basically, outside of Cameron Jordan, of course. But uh, that that that's a lot to lose in one day in free agency for the Saints. So, uh, that's an area that's going to absolutely have to be addressed for them. Uh, you talked about the Chiefs. They add Jawan Taylor. That's a move they pretty much had to make. They lose Andrew Wiley on the right side to the commanders. Wiley, um, you know, he kind of he kind of told you he heard the noise <laughs> uh, as far as the Chiefs uh, and their offensive line issues uh, in their previous Super Bowl appearance. And uh, Andrew Wiley also talked about how, you know, he heard the Eagles kind of talking trash and was ready to face them. So he was he was a big part of what they did in the Super Bowl run. Uh, he's a solid right tackle, not spectacular. Good move for Washington to get him. Uh, looks like Kansas City's also not going to re-sign Orlando Brown Jr. So it looks like they're going to actually lose both of their starting offensive tackles from a year ago, uh, which kind of <clears throat> puts them behind the eight ball. Because, again, I just talked about that Super Bowl loss in Tampa Bay, the reason they lost, in um, the primary reason they lost was because of that offensive line. So you're back to needing two offensive linemen. You get one in Jawan Taylor, but you're still one short. And uh, so Kansas City, they still have a need to address there, and it'll be interesting to see what they do to fill that need, what route they go to keep the franchise protected under center. And, of course, what everybody's been waiting for, <clears throat> need talk to talk about this Jimmy Garoppolo deal for the Raiders. I like it, actually. And the way I see it is this. Is Derek Carr a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo? I'd say yes. But Derek Carr got $100 million in guarantees. Jimmy Garoppolo, $34 million. Do I think that Derek Carr is three times better? Than Jimmy Garoppolo? No. I think they're close enough where if that there's going to be that much gap in the money, give me Garoppolo at a third of the price every time. I just don't think there's that much of a difference between Carr and Garoppolo. And with this contract, this is a bridge quarterback type of contract in today's era. The Raiders still can go out and draft the quarterback and just have Garoppolo be the starter for a year or so. So... And it doesn't have to be in the first round. I, what I would like, ideally, to be honest, is to draft a guy like Hendon Hooker, who's an excellent quarterback, but he's coming off of an injury and would be best suited to not play or not try to rush back in his first year in the NFL. I'd like to draft a Hendon Hooker and just sit him behind Garoppolo for a year. So I, I like the move because it gives you flexibility. It gives you an okay quarterback. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is not great. And trust me, there are going to be some moments that I'm going to be frustrated with Jimmy Garoppolo. I already know that. But for this price, I'm cool with it. Uh, my question there is, is what happens with Devontae Adams. That, that's my one concern. Because Devontae Adams came to the Raiders in large part because he likes living in Vegas. And you understand that. But in large part because his boy Aaron Rodgers, I mean, excuse me, his boy Derek Carr was there. And so now your boy Derek Carr is no longer with Las Vegas. And Jimmy Garoppolo's the again an, eh, quarterback. He's okay. 
close to Adam. I mean, close to Carr as far as what tier I'd put him on, but he, he doesn't have that pre-existing relationship with Devontae Adams. So I am a little concerned with what happens there. And, you know, we've seen receivers on the move. Like, again, nobody expected DJ Moore to be traded. Uh, a year ago, we saw guys like A.J. Brown get traded during the draft. So, you know, we've seen Marquise Brown get traded during the draft. Guys that we didn't necessarily know were available uh, have, have become available around this March-April time frame at the wide receiver position. So I'm a little concerned there. Uh, getting into some other moves really quickly. The 49ers get Javon Hargrave. I, I talked about him a lot during the season last year. Uh, Javon Hargrave, one of the premier interior pass rushers in the league, as if the 49ers needed a whole lot more help up front on the defensive side of the ball. They land Hargrave. That's a big move for them. The Broncos add Mike McGlinchey to their offensive line. They paid him franchise offensive line money, over $50 million in guarantees. Mike McGlinchey, you know, he, he wasn't Trent Williams on that 49ers offensive line. So uh, we, we saw McGlinchey at times struggle with a little speed. He's, he's beatable, but at the same time, when you talk about Russell Wilson and some of the linemen he's had in his past to include last season and to include some of his time in Seattle where he had undrafted guys all over the offensive line, this might be the best offensive line that Russell Wilson's played behind in a long time, if not in his career. So, a good move overall for Denver, even if it was a little bit of an overpay. Uh, and you talked about Cameron Sutton going to Detroit. Uh, again, Detroit, we talked about how they've got nice young pieces in that defense. You talk about Aiden Hutchinson. I'm a big fan of what I've seen of Kirby Joseph in that secondary playing that most important position of football, playmaking safety. Uh, you mentioned Jeff Okuda. Now it's time to start getting some veterans in there to help these youngsters along. So uh, from that standpoint and the standpoint that the Lions do need to get better on defense, I like that Cameron Sutton move as well. And uh, you, talk, you mentioned Patrick Peterson to Pittsburgh. Uh, <laughs> I will say this, actually. Believe it or not, I kind of like this. And I will say this, Patrick Peterson has, has lost a step. He's not going to be the shutdown guy we've seen at times in his career before, you know, back when he was with the Cardinals. That said, if the Steelers can stay healthy up front, if you can get that P.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith pass rush going, and you can get quarterbacks to rush throws, the one thing I did say that was, a, that was good about Patrick Peterson last year is he can still catch the football. So if you can get that pass rush going and you can get those quarterbacks to throw the ball sooner than they want. And Patrick Peterson doesn't have to run with receivers and stick with them for all that long. And he can go and just play the ball more than play his man. There's some potential there. So I actually like this move here. Most teams, I would say not a good move to get Peterson, but if you can get that pass rush going and protect Peterson with that pass rush, I, I kind of like it. I kind of like it, Patrick. Yeah, um, Patrick Pearson, again, he made plays for the Vikings when they needed it. Um, don't know how, because he definitely has lost. I'm not I'm not trying to shit on Patrick Peterson or anything. Like he was, he was a great corner in the league. He's obviously older now, so he's not going to be as fast as he once was. But he still has hands. <laughs> you don't really lose those. Look at Randy Moss still making one-handed catches on ESPN. So you don't lose your hands, really, so... <laughs> um yeah like you said um and maybe they move him to safety who knows we don't know what you know we don't know what 
Um, kind of like Charles Woodson. Remember Charles Woodson kind of lost a couple sets, so they moved they moved him to safety. So maybe Patrick Peterson yep. moves to safety. I mean, he, I know he's not a hitter, but maybe he moves to safety. Who knows? Um, also, the Broncos, as you were talking about, their offensive line also signed Ben Powers from the Ravens. Um, so, and he he was a two year starting left guard for them. He improved a lot this year. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, again, uh, Russell Wilson, there's no more excuses. I'm not going to say no more excuses, but the line is probably going to be the best line he's had um, maybe in his entire career. I agree with you on the Hargrave sign. I know you were I know you were big on him all year, so I left that one for you. That, I mean, the 49ers don't need any more defensive linemen, but why not? <laughs> yep, get greedy. Uh, yeah, do do what you got to do. You, you got to do what you got to do in this league. Uh, you need as much as much uh, depth as you can get. Um, and then just like glad to see him back just because I think he's a great lineman and, and to be undrafted to all pro uh, Jason Kelsey is coming back everyone. So excited about yeah. that. Excited to see him come back. So um, hopefully he can tie his brother up again in Super Bowls. So then it could be like Eli and Peyton again, like Eli has two and he got two before Peyton. So let's just remember that. Um, he also got one before Peyton, but we'll talk about that at a different time. But yeah, I like I like the moves that they that a lot of these teams have made. Um, you know, there's nothing that I've looked at where I'm just like, what are these guys doing? I like you said, um, the Broncos may have overpaid for McGlinchey, but it you kind of got to do what you got to do in some situations, right? And it's kind of like. Kind of like, well, everyone's like, why are the Giants paying uh, DJ so much money? Well, have you seen the quarterback market? It's just going to keep going up. The, the franchise tag was like $38 million anyway, so you're only giving them $2 more million, you know, which, and then next year, the, the projected franchise tag for quarterbacks is like $45 million. So, um, and obviously the franchise tag is all guaranteed money. So, um, you know, sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and, and make a bad contract now to make it look a little bit better maybe in the future so there hasn't been too many head scratching moves yet um there may have been a couple overpays here or there but i'm still waiting for the aaron Rodgers confirmation um bobby wagner's out there i know the rams are probably gonna get rid of him um there's there's some interesting pieces still out i i want to see what happens with eckler um because that has my interest now that that's piqued my interest to see what's going to happen uh, with Eckler because that would definitely be a Brandon Staley move to do. Like it's all it's all Herbert. Everybody just watch and see. Just watch and see. It's all Herbert. So, um, and the Falcons are making interesting moves for for people who mm-hmm. may or may not be interested in Lamar Jackson. They have they have made some interesting moves. They have Kyle Pitts, but they traded for Jonu Smith. Um, they got Jesse Bates at safety. So uh, the Falcons are making some interesting moves. So I want to see what happens. Uh, also, I, I want to see what happens with Lamar Jackson. So, um, definitely an interesting time. And I can't wait for more of these uh, free agency free agents to, to get signed. Fix that defense, Falcons. I like what they're doing. Jesse Bates, David Onyemata. I like it. And as talked about in the intro, we're going into March Madness. We're going into our NCAA coverage. Um, both our teams, Joyce, are dancing. They're on the same bracket, too. And unfortunately, we're in the bracket with Alabama and Arizona, so we're not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> but Maryland got an like eight that. seed. Maryland got an eight seed in the South, and, and NC State got an 11 seed. Um, 
Alabama's the one, Arizona's the two, got Baylor at three, uh, Virginia at the four, and San Diego State at the five. And then there's a bunch of other teams. I'm not going to go over all of them. Um, and then on the other side, in the Midwest, you got Houston at one, Texas two, Xavier three. You got Indiana four, Miami five. That rounds out the top five there. Uh, moving down to the West bracket, you got Kansas at one, UCLA two, Gonzaga three, UConn four, St. Mary's five. And then moving over to the east, you got Purdue one, Marquette two, Kansas State three, Tennessee four, and Duke five. Um, just my initial thoughts uh, right off the top, Julius, for this bracket is uh, I filled one out real quick um, just so we could talk about it. And just my off my initial just first thoughts, I went really chalk. Uh, wasn't a big fan of it. I hated my bracket. I do this every year. I do one. And I hate it. And then I'm going to make changes. So uh, not a fan of my bracket at all. Um, I had At first I had Alabama winning it all. Then I had Kansas winning it all. And then I had Arizona winning it all. And it just so I, I'm up in the air. Um, there's some, there's some, I do, there's always upsets every year, right? So you can't go chalk because you have to try and pick the correct upsets. But um just looking at the bracket, I'm not impressed with a lot of the twos besides Arizona. I think Arizona's probably the best two, in my opinion. Not very impressed with UCLA. Not very impressed with Texas this year. Marquette is a strong number two. Um, I'm also not impressed with Purdue at the one. Uh, Houston, obviously the injury to Sazer is is huge, and, and that's going to play a big role in how far they go. But Purdue yep. is really a one-man team, and the one man is a beast. So Ely is a beast. <laughs> don't don't get me wrong. Probably going to win Player of the Year. Um, yep. But if you can stop him, it's not unreasonable. You can beat Purdue. Penn State almost beat Purdue, uh, and mm-hmm. Penn State was not a very good team this year. The only reason they made it barely into the tournament is because they made it to the Big Ten championship game. Um, I'm just I'm just not that impressed with Purdue. I think that that could be one of the one seeds that doesn't make it to the Final Four. Um, upset alert! I think I'm going to have Memphis beating them. Um, I'm a big fan of Memphis. They got the athletes to make a big run in this tournament. Uh, I don't like Duke or Tennessee at four and five. Tennessee's leading um, scorer got hurt late in the year and hasn't come back yet. Duke, I know they won the ACC championship. I'm just not impressed with what I've seen from them as a whole this season. Uh, the ACC was really weak this year. Um, and so, again, Marquette, I think, would be the biggest threat in this in this bracket in the East. Uh, so I think Memphis could make a run. They just have to get past Purdue. Because I think if they get past Purdue, I think if Duke or Tennessee comes out of that, uh, Oral Roberts is the, is the big one that everyone's talking about that has the big upset because Duke hasn't had good – uh, luck in recent brackets, which uh, to my delight. Um, but <laughs> again, I think if Memphis makes it past Purdue, I think they could beat Tennessee or Duke. And then from there, it's just going to be beating, uh, you know, once you do that, you're in the Elite Eight. <laughs> and then it's either going to be Marquette, um, possibly Kansas State. Um, you know, who, who knows how who's going to come out the bottom of that bracket. But Again, I think Memphis could make a deep run. That's kind of my Cinderella team this year. I I'm gonna, I think I'm going to have them beating Purdue uh, going pretty far. Uh, again, looking at the West, I think Kansas has a really solid team. Um, 
I think they will either be playing UCLA or Gonzaga uh, in the Elite Eight. Um, again, I, I'm not sold on UConn. Uh, they struggled a little bit down the stretch. Uh, St. Mary's, uh, you know, had a good team all year and then couldn't even beat Gonzaga like normal. Uh, so I don't know how sold I am on them. <laughs> so I think Kansas comes out the West, moving up to the Midwest again. Again, I'm not sold on my brackets, people, so don't go with me on this. But, I mean, Houston yeah. should come out of the Midwest. But, again, I'm so concerned about that injury um, that I don't I don't know. I mean, they could lose to Iowa or Auburn. I think Iowa's going to come out of there. But um, I, don't, I don't know. I do have Houston coming out of the Midwest for now, but I am paying close attention uh, to the injury report. Um, keep an eye on Xavier, too. Xavier had a really strong season. Um, and then coming over to the South, uh, again, I, I have Maryland being West Virginia, but it's going to be a close game, and then they're going to immediately lose to Alabama in the next round. So if we do win, it's going to be one and done for the Terps. Uh, I could see us losing, though, round one and going nowhere. Um, and, again, I think Alabama's only test, because I'm not a Virginia fan at all. I never have been. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't think they have the scores. Again, I thought the ACC was really weak. That's why I'm not sold on Miami going far in this in this tournament either. Um, uh, I think San Diego State uh, beats Charleston. I think Virginia beats Furman. I think San Diego State beats Virginia. And I think Alabama will beat San Diego State. But again, I think Alabama's toughest test will come in the Elite Eight against Arizona. Arizona just has two bigs um, that have been dominating all season for them. Um, and then it was a tough draw for both of our teams because West Virginia is not a, a slouch and Creighton is not a slouch of a team <laughs> either. So, uh, but yeah, that, that's that's what I got. I got, you know, Again, I'm not sold on Texas as a team. Not saying that they're a bad team, but I'm just not sold them as the two. Um, so again, I got, I got, I think I'm going to have Alabama, Houston, Kansas, and then uh, Marquette coming out of their respective divisions. Again, I think Memphis could make an Elite Eight run, Final Four type run. They have the athletes to do it. They just have to get past Purdue, and that's that's a tough ask because Purdue, if you can't stop Ely, you, you're not winning. Uh, but it, they have lost, and they have been successful. The Terps beat Purdue, so Memphis can definitely beat Purdue. Um, again, it is, this is a wide-open bracket in my opinion, Julius. So what, what does it look like on your end? All right, I'll start this off by saying full disclosure, I have not filled out a bracket, and I am that person – when they have the selection Sunday, I wait a couple days. I digest things, see how I feel. Like like you said, Patrick, there, there's some mixed feelings you have. One day you like one team. Another day you think about it again and you say, no, maybe this team. Maybe I'll go in this direction. So I uh, haven't filled out the bracket. Just kind of looking things over, seeing how teams finish, seeing how teams perform in these conference tournaments, and definitely checking that injury report. That's something you got to keep an eye on, who's missing. Uh, who has been out that just got back. Those kind of things uh, matter a lot. Uh, So for me, uh, you know, I'm just going to make some notes on some of the conference tournament results we saw uh, over the weekend. Uh, Alabama, they they got the number one overall seed in large part because they destroyed Texas A&M in the SEC championship. That version of Alabama was highly impressive. So you, you actually had Javon Quinterly. He's, he's the guy for Alabama who got off to a hot start in that game, and they just put Texas A&M away early. And the bottom line is the difference in that game was uh, Alabama star Brandon Miller. He looked like Brandon Miller. He looked like the guy who's the top uh, college basketball player, a guy who's going to be a top three draft pick. 
and uh, Wade Taylor, the fourth of Texas A&M. He's a streaky scorer. He was on a down streak. He had a great game against Alabama just a week or so ago, but when they played the turn in the uh, SEC tournament, uh, Wade Taylor did not have his best game at all, and uh, Texas A&M just fell into too early of a hole to come out of. So Alabama goes into the tournament looking impressive. There is there is the whole cloud hanging over that team uh, with the Darius Miles situation and, and Brandon Miller's kind of um, slight involvement in it, as you could say, tangential involvement maybe. But uh, that doesn't seem to be affecting this team at all. So I'm going to go ahead and say that's going to be a non-factor moving forward. And, yeah, we'll see how far this Alabama team can go. It's kind of a lot of pressure when you kind of single out as the number one one, for lack of a better term. But uh, Alabama is certainly a team that, to keep your eye on and see what they do. Um, the Houston Cougars, they're your, they're your second number one seed. Uh, they lost the AAC championship to those Memphis Tigers that Patrick talked a lot about. And, again, like you said, Losing a conference championship, not much of a concern to me. Obviously not much of a concern to the committee because they still had Houston ranked number two overall. But that loss of Marcus Sasser, for those who missed it, Sasser got injured during the game just slipping on the court and falling extremely awkwardly. If you remember Stephen Curry getting injured in the playoffs, slipping and falling, it kind of reminded me of that. And we've seen, in the case of Curry, he ended up with a sprained knee and wasn't the same for the rest of the postseason on a regular basis. He had a couple of decent games, but it affected him for the rest of that postseason. And ultimately, I think it was a, a big reason why the Warriors didn't win a championship that year. You don't know with these groin issues, uh, the day Marcus Sasser got hurt, it was the day before the AAC championship. He was initially listed as probable for some reason for that game, but ultimately didn't play. Soft tissue injuries can be tough even if Marcus Sasser is cleared to play in a first round second round at any point that groin could get re-aggravated so that's what I'm concerned about it's one thing to say he's all right for a game will it hold up throughout a tournament so I'm highly concerned with you Patrick they've got other good players I like Jamal Shedd and some of the other pieces they got there but without Marcus Sasser Houston's not getting out of their region I don't believe uh, as for Memphis, Kendrick Davis, their star player, he actually missed a game against Houston early in the season, a game that Houston won. Uh, now Kendrick Davis is back. He had a great run through the conference tournament. He had a great game against Houston. He was by far the main reason Memphis won that game. Uh, Kendrick Davis is the type of player who can lead a run. So Memphis absolutely is a team to keep an eye on as the tournament advances. Kansas gets that third number one seed going into the weekend you thought Kansas would be the overall number one they were the hottest team going in but uh they got hammered in the big 12 championship by Texas uh Jalen Wilson Kansas is a star player he had a great game against Texas unfortunately nobody on the team was able to follow his lead so uh Texas easily with that win and the thing in that game was both Kansas and Texas shot the exact same percentage from three, which wasn't impressive. They were both four for 17. But this score, again, a beatdown by Texas, it just shows goes to show how much more effective Texas was inside the arc and in transition in Kansas. Uh, one thing to keep an eye on with Kansas, and normally you don't talk about an injury report with coaches, but Bill Self had a medical issue and had to miss the last couple games of the Big 12 tournament. Uh, he's expected to be back with the team this week from what I understand. 
don't know what his status is for actually being able to coach. But I will say that without Bill Self, uh, Kansas looked lost at times against Texas. So they're going to need their coach back. Coaching matters a lot more in the college game, especially this time of year, because you're counting on inexperienced players. You're counting on freshmen because, you know, good players don't stay more than a year or two in college anymore. So you, you're really relying on the coach more than you'd like to. And uh, you kind of saw uh, the difference in the composure for Kansas without Bill Self. So this is the kind of thing I'm waiting to get information on before I fill out a bracket. What's Bill Self's status looking like as well as some of these players? Uh, and like I said, Purdue got the last number one seed. Uh, they tried their best to, to kind of scare Patrick and blow a 17-point lead in the Big Ten championship, but Purdue were able to hang on and win that game. Zach Eady, like you said, was a monster in that game. Um, he kind of disappeared a bit more than I'd like to see down the stretch, but overall it was a really good game and a strong tournament for Zach Eady. I am concerned about the fact that you, you talked about if you can stop Eady, uh, you, you have a great chance against Purdue. Uh, my thing is, you don't even necessarily have to stop them. We've seen teams like this go out early in the tournament because a big man like Zach Eady got in foul trouble early. Uh, and keep in mind, it's only five fouls in, in college basketball, and that's a rule that I'd like to see change, by the way. I'd like there for there to be a six-foul limit in college basketball. Just throwing that out there. But as long as it's five fouls, if you can get a, a couple of fouls early on Zach Eady, producing big trouble. So we'll, we'll see when they when get in the tournament how willing are teams to, a, to attack Zach Eady. That, that'd be my entire game plan. I'd go relentlessly at Zach Eady. I don't care if he blocks 15 shots. If we can get some fouls on him, that's all we need. So we'll see if teams are willing to do that. Uh, I, too, was a bit concerned about Purdue in this game, not only because they blew almost blew a 17-point lead and ended up having to hang on by a couple of points, but Penn State's best player, Jalen Pickett, kind of their point forward, he didn't even have a great game. So it's one thing to almost blow a lead because a special player is having a special performance, but on a night where Jalen Pickett didn't have his A game, you still almost blew a lead to Penn State. That's a concern for me. And I've, I'm kind of out on Purdue as well as far as them making a, a big run. They, they should at least make the Sweet 16, but it's going to get real dicey in a hurry after that. Uh, Duke goes on to win the ACC championship uh, kind of comfortably against Virginia. Virginia had some moments where they got back in the game. But uh, to your point about not liking Virginia, Virginia has years of this history where they just – struggle to create offense at times and offense is just too difficult for them at times even when they lost as a one seed to umbc years ago in a year where their best player deandre hunter was hurt they just struggled to create offense and virginia they're always gonna have a tough defense there's no question about that but the problem with virginia is they're that type of team that if they fall behind seven or eight points it feels more like 14 or 15 so virginia is going to struggle as long as they have these games where they can barely get to 60 points or in this, or like they did against Duke, not even score 50. Uh, as for the Blue Devils, Jeremy Roach uh, is back in a rhythm. Uh, he missed a few weeks in January, and Duke looked a little lost without him, even with their young talent on the team. Uh, guys like Philip Kelsey and uh, Lively, they just looked lost at times without Roach. But now Roach is kind of back as their team floor general. Duke looks a lot better with him. <clears throat> they weren't done a whole lot of favors by the committee to be thrown on the same line as Miami, but both being five seeds, I thought Duke might get a four 
Uh, for them to fall into five means they fall into a, a, a fairly tough matchup. These 12 seeds this year, I'm telling you now, these 12 seeds are no joke. It would not surprise me in the least if the 12 seeds swept the five seeds. That, that's how impressive the 12 seeds are this year. You got College of Charleston as a 12 seed this year. They've got 31 wins on the season. They were right at one point in the season nationally. So for them to fall all the way to a 12, they're dangerous. Drake and VCU are on that 12 line. They're both uh, two of the hottest teams in the nation. They're dangerous. And, of course, uh, Duke's opponent, because they got put on that five line, and they got put in that 5-12 matchup. They get matched up against Oral Roberts. Uh, if anybody remembers previous tournament performances from Max Aismas, and make sure you get that pronunciation right because it's spelled with a B for some reason, but Max Aismas can score. He can definitely drop 30-35 in a game on Duke. So can you overcome that if Max Aismas has a Max Aismas game? Uh, going back to conference championships, Arizona beat uh, the UCLA team that Patrick's not too high on for the Pac-12 championship. Uh, Tiger Campbell, uh, senior point guard for UCLA, one of, one of the players I really like in the country. Uh, he was at the free throw line with a chance to tie the game. He misses the potential game time free throw with six seconds left. So uh, that's what uh, kind of cost UCLA that chance to win that. So Arizona hangs on there. Uh, the big concern for me, again, I'm less concerned about the fact that you lost the conference championship by a basket, more concerned about the fact that the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, Jalen Clark, is out for the season with an Achilles injury. That's a major blow to UCLA. Uh, that's going to be tough to overcome. And again, in this game, it was a defensive game between Arizona and UCLA, but Tiger Campbell, again, a guy I like, as well as Jaime Hawkins Jr., those guys did not shoot well, did not uh, have their strongest offensive games against Arizona. They struggled against that length that Patrick talked about that the Arizona Wildcats bring to the table. So uh, UCLA has a couple of concerns going in. I like the experience UCLA has. They've definitely got more experience than most teams in this field by a good stretch, uh, but they're going to have to be able to consistently score against athletic defenses that have length and have versatile defenders. And last but not least, I'm going to just briefly touch on my Wolfpack. To be honest, I wouldn't have minded if we missed the tournament based on how we lost in the ACC tournament. It's one thing to lose. I'm okay with losing in the conference tournament. But to lose to Clemson by over 20 points, and it's the third time you lost to Clemson this year, and it's the second time you lost to Clemson this year by more than 20 points, the second time in just a matter of a couple weeks, including a home loss where we were blown out by Clemson, for us to be an 11 seed and Clemson to be out, I didn't think we were that much better than Clemson. I would not have been mad at all if the committee gave our spot to Clemson because of how they dominated us all year long. I was just disappointed to see that, disgusted to see that. Um, again, I haven't filled out a bracket, but I will not be picking NC State to beat Creighton. Uh, <laughs> <back> <laughs> I just got, just got to be honest. That's what this show is about, being honest. So – unbiased as, as, as I'll, I'll be rooting for NC State. I have my red on come Friday, uh, but do I, do I think we're going to beat Creighton? Absolutely not. We do have a fun backcourt. Jarkel Joyner coming over from Mississippi has, has been a spark at times in the backcourt. Uh, Terquavian Smith at times looks like one of the better scorers in the conference, but it's just not consistent enough. And I think the 
the streakiness that NC State plays with is going to come back to bite them. I think Creighton is a more steady team by far. Wouldn't surprise me if we lost to Creighton by about 12 or 14 points. That said, I will take my moment to say this. NC State's still playing, and North Carolina is not. Go home, Tar Heels. I'm glad you're not in the NIT. I'm glad you didn't take that invitation. Nobody wants to see you clowns anymore. Get, get that light blue out of here and just watch us. Even if you have to watch us lose on Friday, you still got to sit at home and watch us. So eat it, Tar Heels. Yeah, and on to your Tar, tar Heels uh, mockery. mockery. Um, it is the first <laughs> preseason AP number one team to miss the tournament since the field expanded to 64 teams, and that happened Beautiful. in 1985, people. So um, not a record you want to hold. Uh, it was a very, very bad, bad um, season for the Tar Heels. So much to Julius's delight. Absolutely. That's, that's the best part of the bracket who's, is who's not in it. And quickly moving over no. to the women's bracket, um, I think everyone has South Carolina winning it. But I just want to say one thing to the fucking committee that always puts Maryland <laughs> as a two seed in the hardest division and the hardest bracket of all time. Why do we got to be in the South Carolina bracket with Notre Dame as the three? Why? Why do we have to be in the South Carolina bracket as the two seed? Why? Why couldn't we been? Why couldn't we be in the Greenville one with Indiana as the one? Why couldn't we been where UConn is playing Virginia Tech? Why couldn't we even been Iowa? I play Stanford. I don't want to be in the South Carolina bracket. Let's at least make it to the Final Four or the or, or the championship game before we got to play South Carolina. I don't want to play them in the Elite Eight. It's ridiculous. I'm tired of it. Maryland, I feel like, always gets shitted on when it comes to bracket selections. We were the two seed multiple times in the UConn bracket when UConn was destroying people. And this is the same shit every year. Maryland gets shitted on. Second seed, two seed in the goddamn South Carolina bracket, and I hate it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I can't really follow that up too much. Um, I, I've got South Carolina as well, and I think the big question is, it's funny, with, with the men's side, you know, there's, you feel like there's 15 different teams that can go all the way. On the men's side, on the women's side, it feels like it, it's South Carolina versus the field. And normally in that situation, you like to take the field. You like to take, you know, the extra 60-plus teams over over one. But South Carolina just feels, to me, that far ahead of everybody else. And, yes, they've been challenged at times this year. But I, I just feel like South Carolina's hungry. They've, they've got uh, players like, you know, somebody like Aaliyah Boston making her last run. I just don't think that she, she gets denied. And I, I just think that South Carolina's taking this thing all the way. Um to your point about the seeding, I can't complain too much this year. NC State's a seven seed, so I'm not going to complain too much about where we ended up. But on the lines of what you were talking about, I'll never forgive the committee for what they did to NC State a couple of years ago when I felt like NC State had a championship team on the women's side. And NC State got a one seed in the Bridgeport, Connecticut region where UConn was a two seed. What is that? <laughs> How do we as a one seed have to play an Elite Eight matchup on the road. <laughs> that, that makes no sense. So that that's something I'll never, ever forgive the committee for. That's something I'll never, ever forget is, is them putting NC State as a one seed in Bridgeport, Connecticut region against UConn as a two seed. They, there are 
miscarriages of justice that go on in the women's bracket for sure. They feel like they can get away with it because the women's bracket doesn't draw the same amount of attention as the men's bracket does, but we're calling them out today. South Carolina wins, but yeah, committee, be better. As always, Julius and I appreciate y'all giving us a listen, especially on this special edition of our podcast for the NFL and, and March Madness. Remember, don't be surprised if Memphis goes far. I'm trying to tell y'all right now, they got the athletes to do it. Not saying they are going to do it, but they got the athletes to do it. Um, as always, follow us at Two Guys Four Balls Podcast. That's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, we appreciate y'all listening. Thank you for listening to the Two Guys Four Balls Podcast.